Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, do you know what the most tattooed beer brand is? Well, given that it's COVID, I would guess... Well, actually, it's not that beer brand. This is a pre-pandemic beer brand. It's Paps Beer, PBR, as some know that. Uh, that actually does make sense, as PBR is believed to be the first brewer to package beer in sixes. It was also my beer of choice during the 10 years that I lived in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now, Paps Beer is typically a beer that would sell for 2 to $3 a can, depending on the bar that you're at. When items are that affordable, you wonder about their unit economics in e-commerce. Such a freaking hipster. I know. I mean, like, you know, first Williamsburg, now the Catskills. Such a freaking hipster. It's sad, the cliches that I live out. <laughs> yeah, okay. Homemaker in Long Island speaking here. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to beer. That was what was so interesting when we spoke with Will Yen, the director of national accounts at PAPS. Pepsi actually seems to be thriving in a world where e-com doesn't just mean drizzly, but all the pairing options now with food delivery and more. And with that, let's bring Will onto the show. Hey, Will. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rachel. I feel like once a year I get to run into you in a conference room, and then now we get to do it on this podcast. I know. Things are so different now. Yeah, it's wild. So Kimberly Clark, P&G, Viacom, Zuilli, now Paps Beer. Your resume honestly sounds like an ad for Brave Commerce. How is selling beer different than all of your other past experiences? Selling online, of course. Yeah. When I think about my past experiences and kind of where I'm at now with Pabst, there's kind of three things that come up. I think number one, from a legality standpoint, I know Wayne referenced this in a couple of podcasts ago, but things like state-by-state state shipping laws vary by county, by zip code. So that's very different from any of the other places I've been at. Number two, working through wholesalers and distributors in this whole three-tier system is also very different from my past experiences, but very similar to the licensing world, actually. It's kind of nice to not be able to advertise directly with the retailer, but at the same time, it, you know, you're kind of short a tool in the tool belt, if you will. Third piece that's very different from my past experiences is refrigeration, right? Beer doesn't have to be refrigerated necessarily from an e-commerce perspective, but most consumers who order beer through a delivery platform like an Instacart or a Drizzly or a GoPuff or Amazon Prime now kind of want it in the moment. And so they want that beer to be ice cold. So that's kind of three areas that are pretty different from my previous experiences. So you're, you're making a really good point about the idea of people expecting beer to be cold when it's delivered to them through like a GoPuff or, or an Instacart or, or an Amazon Prime now. But 
what is the shopper journey like now, whether it's for your national brands, for your regional brands? I mean, personally, I've ordered PBR and I have not expected it to be cold. I realized that I kind of had to do some of the homework on that, but maybe that's just me. I maybe just have low expectations in general. Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. So for us, what we saw in the consumer journey change was that we saw the stock up that most brands saw during you know the height of the pandemic, larger pack sizes or 30 packs to 24 packs. But we also saw a shift from, from on-premise to off-premise. So on-premise is restaurants, bars, uh, hotels, uh, where we sell beer on tap. And with the shutdowns, we saw a lot of that business going into our off-premise, which is, you know, mass, grocery, drug, convenience, et cetera. So we definitely saw those shifts, but then also we saw a shift to known brands, right? So if I have less trips to the store, I'm not going to spend time like picking out a new IPA that I'm not aware of. I'm going to go with something that I know and, and love. And so for us, not only is PBR a national brand, but we've got these regionally relevant brands like Rainier in the PAC Northwest, Lone Star in Texas, Stroh's in Detroit, Natty Bow in Maryland, et cetera. Let me, let me follow up on that one because there, there are two points that you made. One is that pack size was up, which yeah. I get people were pantry packing. How, how does that relate to consumption? And I'll save my second question. We'll see if I remember it. So from a consumption standpoint, it just means that, you know, since people are stuck at home, they're not going to drink less beer. They're just going to drink it for different occasions, right? And so instead of the social event that they might be going to to get that ice cold beer or to kind of drink it in the moment, they're going to stock up and put it in the fridge for whatever event they're doing in their homes. You're like Netflix and chilling instead of going to a concert. Either way, you need a PBR. Correct, correct. Absolutely. Okay. So that was question one. I think question two is more of a statement, which was uh, specific around brands going back to like the interesting fact is that when you look at brands that were going through the recession in 08 to call it 11, people went to cheaper brands, value brands, whatnot, or private label because they were in some sort of economic pain. And we have seen that people are sticking with brands who are doubling down on their brand equity because in a time of uncertainty, you want to go with something that you trust. It seems like you're seeing that as well. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that in the numbers. But the reliability also plays. So what have you been doing from a supply chain perspective to make sure that you you are there to, to fulfill the need before they go cheating on you? <laughs> from a supply chain standpoint, once we saw the shift into more of our regionally relevant brands, the larger pack sizes, making sure that we were able to pivot quickly away from some of those pack sizes or smaller, even smaller brands that people just weren't picking up to ensure that we were there when wherever consumers were looking for our brands. Now, um, Will, I know we were talking and you said that Paps was one of the most tattooed brands on people's arms, which speaks to the brand love, the brand loyalty. It's the most recognizable brand that you have. What are you doing right now for the less recognizable brands? Maybe some of the more local beers that you guys are distributed. Yeah. So for, I'll, I'll take Rainier as an example, because I'm here in the Pacific Northwest. But when we think about innovation, we're doing, you know, everybody's going in the hard seltzer game, right? That's kind of where the consumer's going. And so we're no different, but how do we make it regionally relevant, right? So we have a Huckleberry flavor, for example, that's very relevant um, in the Pacific Northwest. So making sure that we're taking that into account. And when we think about activations or marketing or media investments, making sure that we're investing in the right marketplaces and not just doing these national programs that may may not resonate with the consumer in a certain market, right? 
because we are a smaller beer company, you're not going to see us spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad or, or anything like that because it just doesn't make sense for our consumers. You talked about investing in the right marketplaces. And earlier, you were alluding to last mile delivery. Now that you're deep in the trenches with some of these last mile delivery partners, what are the opportunities and challenges that you've been running into this year when it comes to last mile delivery? Yeah, I think for challenges, I think, you know, the biggest challenge for any brand in e-commerce is usually data and insights, right? It's already hard enough to get that from a retailer. But when you think about adding another layer in like an Instacart or a Drizzly or even a DoorDash, they partner with so many different of our retail partners that that consumer insight and those that reporting is even that much harder to get. So I think that's that's definitely one challenge. But I think the opportunity is it opens up more purchase occasions, right? So I'll give you an example of this summer when I was at the beach with the family, social distance, of course, wearing the masks, but trying to, you know, get out and enjoy the weather. Come lunchtime, the kids are complaining like, daddy, I'm hungry. Like I need something to eat. And I realized the snacks I packed weren't enough. Mm -hmm. Hopped on, you know, Prime Now app, saw that there was, they were delivering to Whole Foods within that zip code. And two hours later I had, you know, ice cold beer and a couple sandwiches. And so I think it opens up many more purchase occasions. Um, when you think about that last mile delivery. The other piece I'll mention too on the last mile delivery opportunity is a way to build our PBR brand equity. So Rachel, you mentioned the tattoo piece, right? Our PBR swag, you know, like jackets and coolers and glassware and all of that really resonates with the consumers. And so be able to use that as a gift with purchase or as something that plays into that purchase occasion. If you're on a way to a party and you need like a gift, something like that, we can play there as well. So uh, those are the opportunities I think about when it comes to last mile. Just to kind of click a little deeper specifically on that. I mean, you're talking coastal. I mean, literally you are at the beach. So that, that last mile, when it comes to, you know, those of us living on the coast makes a hell of a lot of sense. But what about like the go puffs of the world? Like where, where are you delivering to college towns and things like that? How are you seeing last mile different there? Yeah, I think for last mile in kind of middle America, it is going to be a bit different because of access and going back to the legalities and counties, zip code, that kind of thing. But if you think about a GoPuff and kind of how they started off and kind of how they're they're building out their strategy, you know, they started off to your point really targeting college kids and but as those college kids are starting to age up into having families and having this cash rich, time poor segment, I think the purchase occasions do kind of play into that. It's just going to look a little bit different. So instead of ordering a six pack for the beach type of occasion, you're probably going to order a six pack for like a night in um, or meet up with a couple friends on a rooftop deck somewhere type of occasion. But it's, it's just going to look a little different. You know, Will, you've worked across personal care, toys, now alcohol. When it comes to data and analytics for selling beer online, what are the current data gaps that you're finding? That's a great question. I think from a data standpoint, because Amazon is not a top three retailer for the first time in my career in this space, a lot of the goodness that you get from a lot of the reporting partners in this space are just not as relevant in our categories. And, it, and it's hard to find partners that have, you know, full kind of POS reporting or digital shelf, or I guess digital shelf analytics are still there, but I would say primarily POS reporting, especially um, in our categories. 
the other data gap that I'm kind of starting to see more is just from an insight standpoint, right? There just aren't that many players that are driving a lot of consumer insight, specifically in a category that is less than one to 2% penetration online. I think if you start looking at where, you know, other countries have gone and obviously the heavy duty lobbying for a greater ability to be able to sell beer through the likes of Amazon in the US, I'm hopeful that will change, but there is a lot of data and insights that you can get from like a prime now or things like that to be able, or even from a digital shelf perspective across retailers to get stories and insights that can be actioned to help your brand at minimum be more discoverable, albeit missing that that closed loop sale. And that currently sucks. <laughs> Sarah, I could think of two companies that could help with that. I, I, I could. That's, that's, that, that's an excellent point, <laughs> Ms. Tipograph. You, you are stating the very subtle obvious. Leave it to me for that. Well, Will, believe it or not, we are at the moment to ask our most favorite question. Yeah. Which is, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Yeah, that's a, I love this question that I've been hearing across other guests that you've been having. And for me, mine is kind of a mix of professional and personal. So I'll give you the year. The year was 2008. I just finished law school and was working at a legal nonprofit here in Seattle. It was great. You know, I I felt like I was using my legal skills. I was working to help, you know, those who couldn't afford legal support. And it was, it was great. But at the same time, like my wife, now girlfriend at the time was like, you are, your mental health is suffering. Like people came with such sad stories, right? There was stories about divorce and bankruptcies, super sad stories that people have. And I didn't know what to do because my, my legal skills, that was my profession. That was what I trained for. And I wasn't sure exactly what to do next. And so I knew living in Seattle that if I wanted to pivot my career, that I would have to make a a drastic change. And so I had a friend who worked at XP at the time. She was a product manager. She said, hey, we're hiring all these straight out of college folks to kind of do the ground grunt work, if you will, on ramping up hotels on Expedia. Like you should take a look at it in sales and marketing. And so I met with the hiring manager and he took a big chance on me. I had no hospitality background, no sales or marketing background, no e-commerce background for sure, and took a chance on me. And I remember at the same time, I had this offer from the Department of Veteran Affairs. So in my mom's you know, eyes or in my parents' eyes, it's like perfect stable job, right? You've got this government job and it's using your legal background, but... You know, I took a real big chance to go with Expedia that was like young and vibrant in this kind of startup e-commerce culture and, and travel. And I think about that a lot because it was a brave step for me so late in my career to pivot to something that I didn't really know that much about. So the learning for me was really about being brave with my career in the sense that, you know, I could always go back to what I trained for, but there wasn't always going to be an opportunity like what I had at Expedia to get into something that I had totally no business being in, but to take it head on with positivity, with curiosity, uh, with passion. And um, it's been my entire career ever since. It's been it's been e-com. So 12 years of e-commerce, uh, starting with that one brave decision. Not too many people can say that. Yeah, it's kind of rare to have worked on the brands and categories that I've worked on and to find other folks that have similar trajectories. But I think one thing that I've noticed having, you know, met with other e-commerce professionals is that there is a sense of 
we like the fact that it's kind of like the unknown, right? It's kind of like the wild, wild west in many ways, because we can define the strategies and the vision and where we think uh, the business can go. So um, I think there's, there's definitely that thread. And the fact that I now know you're a secret lawyer, I'm going to make sure to come back to this moment. I just got the email today, actually, that uh, I got to pay for my fees next year. Uh, it's already due, my, my bar fees. Well, Will, thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge. You've worked across some of the most exciting consumer categories. I'm so excited that you're now at Pabst. America needs beer more than ever. And we look forward to what's to come. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.